this morning is from Exodus chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from therein, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, uh, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherubim on one end and the second cherubim on the other end. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of this word. You ever had to wash dishes? Yeah? So, you might have used something like this when you wash dishes? Yeah. Sometimes I use these, but these are much better. So when you wash dishes, you get the cloth wet, right? And when it's wet, then it's good to go. It's not good to wash dishes with a dry cloth, is it? No, it doesn't work too well, unless you're kind of pre-washed, you know, scrape all the stuff off with the dry one. But it's best to have a nice wet cloth to wash your dishes. So after you finish washing your dishes, then you have to wipe down the table and the counter and all that stuff. Do you want it to be drippy like that? No, so you have to squeeze it out a little bit. Because you don't want it too drippy. You still want it wet, but not too drippy. And then when it's time to put it away, you don't want to leave it still drippy, right? So you have to squeeze it out some more. So you squeeze and you squeeze and you squeeze until you get it all squeezed out, right? All right, and then you can hang it up to dry. Well, that, was make, that made me think about two things. Our scripture this morning 
and my grandmother's basement. In my grandmother's basement, she had one of these. A ringer washer. I thought it was the weirdest looking thing, but you know, what you do is after you wash the clothes, then you put them through the ringer to squeeze out all the water. Makes sense. That means you don't have to do it all by hand. It saves, saves your hands, but it's kind of a funny looking thing. I was a little creeped out about it when I was little, but she got rid of it eventually. But it squeezed the water out. And then I was thinking about our scripture. And oh, today we don't have to do that because our washers spin it out. Or we have that lovely thing called drip dry. I love drip dry. Just hang it up, it drips out, it's all good. But our scripture this morning says, um, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks. To receive an offering from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. He doesn't want it squeezed out of us. He wants it to drip dry from us. He gives us so many blessings. We just could sit there and soak them up forever, like this cloth in the water. And that's great, but he asks for us to give back. And when I was looking at the list of things he wanted, I thought, oh, okay. Gold and silver and uh, bronze. I don't have any of those kinds of things to give. Acacia wood. And then he got into some things that maybe I could do, like the linen or the, the red and the purple. And I looked at the list and I thought, you know what? There's something on that list that everybody could give. There's the stuff that the wealthy folks could give. Then there's the stuff that the goat herd could give. Goat skins and goat hair. There's things that the strong can do and go out and cut that acacia wood. And there are things that I could do, like spin or weave or dye cloth. There are things that everybody could do to give back to building this tabernacle. But he doesn't want the gift given this way. He says, everyone whose heart prompts them to give. So he's asking us to continue to build the tabernacle here in this place. But he doesn't want to wring it out of us. He's given each one of us gifts and skills that we can use. Maybe a big thing, like, I don't know, maybe we can build something or whatever. Or it may be a small thing, like putting a package of wipes in a basket. Or maybe it's picking up papers after church. Or maybe it's praying. Whatever the gifts God has given us, he wants us to use. And he's not going to put us through the ringer to get them. It's up to us to let them drip out into his ministry that he's given us in this place. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us in so many ways. You've given us so many gifts that we don't even know we have. Help us to take stock of that 
and to remember to give back to you because you have blessed us so richly. And there's work for us to do. Help us to not give grudgingly, but to give with a cheerful heart because that's what's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy, and yet you want us to get to know you, to get close to you. We pray that that will happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before I start, do we have a meme? Did I? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it actually made it. Have you, guys, have you guys seen this meme before? If you can't read it or if you're online and for some reason you can't see it, it says, God says, what are they doing down there? And the angel says, they're making milk from almonds. God says, what? I gave them like eight animals to get milk from. The angel says, they don't like that milk. There's a picture of Jesus looking a little fed up. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, why is this funny? <laughs> it comes from real, real life. And yeah, it does. I mean, yes, there are eight animals to get. <laughs> that could be. Jesus maybe makes that face about us more frequently than we realize. Um, so I just want to cue up what we're going to be looking at today with that. Um, but God made us in his image, right? And so part of God's image is God is the creator, right? And so we, as human beings, are given the capacity to create. We can make things. And we can't make things out of nothing like God did, but we can take the good things that God gave us in our in his creation and make something else. So I mean, almond milk, it is kind of creating an ecological crisis right now, but um, almond milk itself is not bad for you. It's just not milk, right? <laughs> it's not the thing that God created to to be milk, um, but it is. But it's it's a food. It's something that humans created. It's not necessarily bad or good. There is almost nothing on earth actually that is all bad or all good. Um, God made the world and everything in the world, and so everything that God made, we know from Genesis one, which we looked at last week, was originally good. Everything started off good. A lot of times in our world now, since the fall, the difference between whether something is bad or whether something is good is how we, the image bearers, are approaching or using the thing. Are we trying to engage something in creation in order to bridge the gap between us and God ourselves on our own initiative? Are we trying to be God ourselves? Or are we doing something in humble cooperation with God where we are, we are made in God's image, but we are basically the vessels through which God is working, where God's power 
as the Apostle Paul says, is made perfect in our weakness. We're not trying to do this ourselves. We are allowing God to work through us to accomplish what God wants to do through his image that he built into us. So last week, we talked about um, God's back porch, and I forgot. I try not to plagiarize things. I forgot. I actually got that term from Pastor Tom Sparling at the Journey in Worcester, so I just want to give credit. (laughs) That, That didn't come from my idea, but he described Eden as God's back porch, and I just took that, and I meant to mention that. Anyway, um, so we talked about how the temple is, or or the tabernacle is actually a better term, but temple is probably more familiar, um, is the place where God and humans overlap. It is a place where we meet with God, the heavens and the earth connect, and where, because we learned these words, so we might as well use them, where the apophatic, the indescribable, is given shape, color, order, description through the cataphatic word of God. And we talked about why. Why did God create, why did God make this place for humans and God to connect? Because God is love. And God is so loving within the Trinity that it just kind of overflowed into this expression of distinct individuals and distinct parts of creation it's a love that just bubbles over and cannot contain itself and so the overflowing love love of god created the cosmos and created creatures that god can lavish his love on and creatures us made in god's image that God can also lavish lavish his love on, but through whom God can love the rest of creation. We have a unique role in, in creation, that God loves us in such a way that he loves the rest of what he made through us. That's the intention. So last week we talked about the earth as God's temple, but more specifically, Eden was God's temple. There is this idea, and I mentioned it last week, that even before the fall, even before Adam and Eve decided to take things into their own hands, God actually didn't make all of the earth completely perfect and pristine and wonderful and organized and ordered because God intended to do that through his image bearers. We were supposed to do the work of God by bringing God's ordering love to the rest of creation, maybe even into, maybe even out of this planet, to other regions in the cosmos as we worked with God to figure out how to access those other places. There was still chaos to be ordered and creation to be brought under the loving kingship of God. God just wanted to do that through us. And so Eden was this pristine, idyllic paradise that's why it's called paradise it was great there was nothing wrong there everything that the humans needed was there um, for their physical needs and also they interacted with god there that was where they and then their descendants were intended to spend time with god get to know god take on the character of god and then get their marching orders and go out and fill the earth 
or fill, they would they would fill their tank <laughs> in Eden and then they would fill the earth with God's love. And they were supposed to make this, basically make Eden expand. So the goodness and the virtue and the perfection of Eden was supposed to be brought out further and further into the good creation. It was already a good creation, but there was still elements of chaos and they were supposed to expand it. God's intention in the cataphatic, the describable, the sens sensationable uh, creation was always to start small and work outward. Always, always, always. And Jesus actually talks about this in his parables about the kingdom. He starts small and works outward. There's a mustard seed and it turns into this great bush where birds can sit in the branches or it's a little bit of yeast and it raises a whole loaf of dough. This has always been God's intention. Start small and work big. Love through the creatures made in his image. And that's why the two commands that he gives the first humans are be fruitful and multiply before the, even the tree command. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. These two commands in a good earth coming from a good God to sinless human beings are good commands. But these are two examples of things that can play out totally differently than intended when we take God out of the picture. So we can be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over everything in cooperation with God, God's love, or we can do this on our own initiative and our own steam. And there, and you can see the different ways this can play out. Fill the earth with loving image bearers who are going to love the earth or overpopulate the earth. Tax to the max every natural resource that God built in. Or we can say subdue the earth and rule the earth as people connected to and motivated by our loving creator versus dominating the earth and dominating each other and enslaving people and brutalizing animals and doing things for our own power and glory. Which would you say <laughs> is happening for in the world? Yeah. So when God when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and God cast them out of Eden basically they sort of evicted themselves they had already made the choice to play God without God and Eden was the place where they were supposed to connect with God and take on the character of God and go out into all the world and, and love the world with the power of God but they had said no thanks we're going to be God we want to be like God all by ourselves. I can do it myself. So be it. Eden was a place of unbroken trust and cooperation. And now they are outside of it. Just by making the decision not to believe God, when God said, don't eat from that tree, that's when the trust broke. 
So even if they had stayed in that physical location, it would not have been feasible. So now they and we and all of us have to try to order creation ourselves. And so the stories that follow on from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are about how humans begin to develop technology and sin. And the two things go together. It's not because technology is sinful. It's because we got stuck figuring out how to order the world without being plugged into our source. So, um, so they, they make musical instruments and they make fire and they figure out all these things and all of, and the Bible never really says that any of this stuff is bad or good because it, it isn't. It's about the connection with God, but we do also see people killing each other, people killing more of each other. By the time we get to Noah, the Bible tells us the earth has become so corrupt, God can't stand it anymore, and he actually regrets making human beings. And so he calls Noah, and he asks Noah to make something, make a boat. But God is the one who's saying, make the boat. The boat is not a temple. The boat is an ark. It is a structure commissioned by God to preserve some of the priests of creation, human beings, and to preserve some of creation. And God is going to let the disorder that was at the beginning of creation just flood right back in, but keep this remnant safe. It's kind of a do-over. And so I included in our responsive reading the story of the Tower of Babel. Probably for the rest of this series, the responsive reading, the responsive reading always goes with the main passage that we look at every Sunday, but this one, um, this series, you're probably going to want to look even more at the responsive reading if you're studying it, because um, it, it has more even to do with it. So by the time of Babel, the population has grown, and um, everybody has, from Noah's family, and everybody's settled down. They found a good place to live. It seems like it's a, it's a safe place. <clears throat> and the writer of Genesis includes this key detail. Everybody has the same language. So they're all in the same place. They all speak the same language. What happens next? Okay, maybe they're power hungry. What do they do? They build a tower. So why? They were afraid God would do what again? Oh, okay. That's an interesting take. I'm not going to explore that too much because that will derail us. But, <laughs> but that's something to, yeah, I'll be pondering that. They were, Sandy said they were afraid that God was going to do it again. God was going to destroy them again. So they're, they're kind of hunkering down and they are creating a civilization for themselves, essentially. Here's some details to note. The writer of Genesis specifically says they used brick instead of stone. What's the difference between brick and stone? Yes. Brick is an engineered material. Stone is something that God already made, God already put there, and you quarry it. 
And brick is made out of stuff that God already made, but humans have to engineer it themselves. I'm not saying bricks are bad. <laughs> Our whole exterior of this building is made out of bricks, so I really hope it's not. Also, we have a tower, so <laughs> that's, yes. Thank you, Barbara. This church made out of brick with a tower is built on a rock. That's true. So, but this is an important detail for this story because yes, the writer is, is pointing out these people are basically creating something out of their own initiative. They are trying to reach the heavens. They say that. They are trying once again, like Adam and Eve and like everybody else ever since, trying to be like God. They say, so maybe, maybe brick is the almond milk of building materials. Um, but they say, let's build a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. This is in, a, in opposition to one of God's commands originally when he says um, he wants to fill the earth and subdue it, but they want to subdue the earth in their own name for their own glory. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That is in direct opposition to the command to fill the earth. They don't want to. They don't want to fill the earth with the glory and love of God. They just want to find their identity in their own humanness, in their own group, and they don't want to trust God for the outward expansion. They don't want to start small and go big. They just want to build big right here, right now for us. So God comes down to take a look. And he says, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Does this seem like a weird thing for God to say? Any questions come up for you when you hear that? Like what? <laughs> okay. Maybe the earth is not what they think it is, or they're talking about interdimensional travel, possibly. Um, what, other, what other questions? Okay, God is not petty, and this sort of sounds a little petty. Yeah, God sees that this is going to end up somewhere bad if he lets it continue. The questions that came to me, which one of them at least is sort of related to Lorna's, First question, is God afraid of human potential? No, but does it kind of sound like it? If they've begun to do this, then nothing will be impossible for them. Oh no, I better go do something. It sounds like it, right? Okay, protect us from ourselves. But I, I, I'm just, I'm asking the question as they come, as it comes to me. You know what I mean? So that's the first question. And then um, another question. Last week, I kept saying over and over again, and I've already said it a few times today, isn't the love of God supposed to bring order out of chaos? 
well, what's happening here? Why is God the one initiating chaos here? This order will be the result, hopefully. Okay. What is the significance of what's happening in this story? Right. Humanity is trying to do it humanity's way all by themselves again. Humans are, let's face it, humans are made in God's image. God is powerful. Whether or not we are in relationship with God, we actually are fairly powerful. We have power to do a lot of things. And you can see that, for good or evil, throughout human history, humans have a lot of power. If we are disconnected from the source of life and love, the power that we are able to exercise puts us in direct opposition to God. So the people here in this story are trying again, they are succumbing to the temptation again to try to be like God without God. And so they make their own building materials and they disobey the command to fill the earth and they are trying to find their own glory. And you do kind of think if they were the only people on earth, who are they trying to get glory from? That kind of goes to Sandy's question. <laughs> um, we don't need to answer that, but but it is, you know, what what are they really what do they really think they're doing? Who do they really think they are? But they are trying to do something and they it is putting them against God. Remember that, like we said during Advent, sometimes peacemaking, shalom making, requires peace breaking and upheaval first. So we have here in this story a man-inspired tower versus a God-inspired temple. And this theme plays out through the entire Bible. In the Old Testament, it's usually um, described as Babel versus Jerusalem. Babel and Babylon are kind of used, and Egypt are usually kind of used interchangeably throughout the Old Testament versus Jerusalem as the city of God. And in the New Testament, some of that gets pulled into, and also this idea that we talked about all of last year of empire versus kingdom. This is the difference. So then we get to our passage in Exodus, and I heard that the Bible study on Saturday had a really hard time with this passage, and I'm not surprised. Exodus 25 is one of the boring passages in the Bible. It is one of those ones that I read as a kid, and I was like, why is this even here? I'm not building one of these. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't need to know. But And it's actually just the beginning of a pretty long section that goes into a whole lot of detail of not only the tabernacle itself, which is the tent of meeting, but the stuff inside. Like today, Bernice read about the Ark of the Covenant and the lamp and the oil, special oil, and what the priests were supposed to wear, and all of this stuff. And actually, the reason it's in here is that it's an echo of Jesus. So we see in this passage humans cooperating with God in an act of creation. First they start compiling the materials. God says, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. I love that Barb 
drew that out, that jumped out at me too. This is the difference. At Babel, the people are doing something on their own initiative. They are trying to be God without God. They are trying to get to the heavens without God. They are making their own stuff. We're going to do this whole thing ourselves. We're just going to do it. And here, God is inviting people to join with him and saying, if your heart prompts you to give, let's do this together. This is an act of creative ordering love. If your heart prompts you to give to the work of God, it's because you love God. And you are receiving God's love for you. And this is what God has intended from the beginning. It's an act of love. Babel is not an act of love. It's an act of dominance. Creation with God is an act of love. So then you also, it still echoes even, there's descriptions of color and texture and light and protection, just like in Genesis 1. And we see all of this, the things that they're supposed to use, metals, fabrics, plant products, gems, all of this stuff that comes from the earth that God made, but also things that the humans can make. The Israelites, the humans whose hearts prompt them to give, to love God, are bringing God materials that God created and using materials that God created to create with. So the fabrics that they wove and they're still using things that God made with God's blessing, making things that God encouraged them to make. This is a cataphatic picture. It's an analogy of what God and humans working together to make a place to be together looks like. God, not people, not some other spiritual being, sets the pattern. And then we read about the ark. The ark is the place the ark for Noah was the place of preserving the priests and the creation. This ark of the covenant is the place of preserving the law, the covenant of commitment between God and humans. It's a small little protective box to say that we are preserving this unity between God and humans in here. So in the chapters that follow, like I said, we see the lampstand, the table, the tabernacle itself. It's Notice the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, is actually not a temple because it moves. It's a tent. It was built when the Israelites were traveling around the desert. But it really kind of links in pretty well with a God who said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. The tabernacle moves. I challenge you this week, if you're up to it, um, read chapter 26. It's much like chapter 25. <laughs> but um, don't read it to like dig into the details or get bogged down by the details. Read it to try to get a feel of the beauty and the uh, love and the creativity and the just kind of the gorgeousness that God is encouraging here. Humans creating in cooperation with God, commissioned by God. Later in the story of the Israelites traveling in the wilderness, we find out that God actually commissions two specific men, Bezalel and Oholiab, 
who are artists to kind of oversee the work of making all of this stuff, they are copying with God's help instead of plagiarizing God for their own glory. And this is the thing for us to remember this week. God made us in his image. God is creative, and so are we. He gave us the capacity to make things out of the things he has already provided. The question is, for each one of us and for us as a church, will we do it ourselves, or will we do it with him? Questions to go into the week are, what are some things that humans have made that cause chaos and Some of these things are just not redeemable, but some of them might be. What are some ways that we can bring those same things to Jesus for him to redeem and for us to use to bring his justice and mercy, his ordering, life-giving? Right. Lord, thank you so much for the honor of being called your children and for the honor of being human made in your image to love each other and creation in your name and with your strength. Lord, please help us to be more and more open to you and your transformation of our characters and our lives so that we can do what you made us to do in the first place. In Jesus' name, amen.